Flowers have always been a huge passion. I mean, I would actually call it kind of an obsession. I remember when I was about six or seven years old, my family was living in the countryside in New Hampshire, and I would go out in the rain to pick lilacs with my mom. And just, I can still kind of smell those just wet blossoms and the sensory experience of that. And it really impacted me. And I remember begging my mom to grow flowers instead of vegetables. Could we just grow rows and rows of flowers? The New School. 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 This is The New School with your host, Christine Hong. Welcome to A New Kind of School, where we talk about career paths you don't normally get to hear about in the classroom. Every episode, I talk to someone with an interesting life path and learn about how they got to where they are today. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to The New School. All right, first of all, we want to hear from you. What's been your experience with The New School podcast? What kind of guests or career features would you like to see next? Text us your thoughts at 765-343-9840. I personally read all the text messages, so please text away. That's 765 765- Three four three nine eight four zero. So I'm kind of wondering, what were you guys doing when you were 14? I was probably um watching a lot of TV till 10 p.m. and then being like, oh crap, I got to get my homework done before it's due tomorrow. Yeah, so I can definitely tell you what I wasn't doing, and that's looking after a full-blown garden that I had grown all by myself. But that is what today's guest was doing when she was 14. Chelsea Fuss was really into flowers growing up. I mean, obsessed. She studied art history at college, but would draw flowers in the margins of her class notes. She decided to make flowers her career, going from internships to renowned floral designer to floral influencer. In this episode, Chelsea and I talk openly about when she realized in college she could actually make a living off flowers, why gardening is so much more respected as a career in the UK than America, how she used social media to launch and develop her brand, what it was like to design floor arrangements for magazine photo shoots, and why she gave that all up to move to Portugal. She also gets real with me about what she sacrificed in her personal life in order to build her business. All right, can't wait for y'all to hear this amazing interview. Well, I'm kind of wondering, like, what your childhood was like. What did you think you want to be when you grew up? Well, first I wanted to be a teacher and then I really wanted to be either a writer or a museum curator. Okay, cool. So wait, how did your interest in flowers develop then? Flowers have always been a huge passion. I mean, I would actually call it kind of an obsession. So from the time I was a kid, like I remember when I was about six or seven years old. My family was living in the countryside in New Hampshire, and I would go out in the rain to pick lilacs with my mom. And just, I can still kind of smell those just wet blossoms and the sensory experience of that. And it really impacted me. And I remember begging my mom to grow flowers instead of vegetables. Could we just grow rows and rows of flowers? And then when I was like a preteen and a teenager, I was full on obsessed. So I was just reading every book I could find about flowers and gardening and flower arranging. And my parents also really encouraged it. So they would keep buying me books on this topic. So yeah, and then I would, you know, this is back in like the the 90s. So 
that's when dried flowers were really popular. Now they're coming back. <laughs> but I would like make potpourri and dried flower wreaths. And I grew my own cottage garden when I was 14. And I was studying a lot about the gardens in England. And so that was a dream to travel to England and, and study gardens and flowers there. But at the same time, I didn't think it would be a career. I thought I needed to do something like maybe a little more serious or academic. Yeah, I totally get that because they don't teach you about how to become a floral designer in school. Exactly. Yeah. And I think in America, it's actually kind of, I think things are changing now because the playing field is so level now, right? And we have all these creators on the internet. But like back when I was growing up, being a floral designer was more of a trade. And so like, I just felt I needed to do something you know, more academic, but like in England, being a gardener or floral designer is is very revered and it's very serious. So that's just an interesting, you know, cultural difference. So you were like, cool, flowers are cool, but I went to school now. I'm going to study something practical. What was that? So I studied art history and curatorial studies. And I think it was during my junior year that I actually started thinking seriously about flowers because I remember being in a Greek art class. That's not my favorite time period, oddly enough. And so I was just a little bit bored. So I was making notes in the margins of my paper, you know, and it has like an entire plan for my flower shop and my logo and everything. So with any assignment in school for art history, I would study the flowers and the paintings or like I was like I was so obsessed. I would like just try to pick out anything about flowers and how it related to what I was doing. And I remember I had to take one studio art class and the teacher said, wow, you really like flowers. That's like all you paint, you know. (laughs) So, yeah, I was always kind of trying to tie everything back to that. And during my sophomore year, I did do an internship that was a horticulture internship. So I guess at that point, I was already kind of thinking in that direction. And I, I remember a professor asking me what I wanted to do. And I just said, like, I'm not exactly sure. I know I want to create beauty and it's related to art and flowers and gardening, but I didn't know what it was. How did you figure out what you want to do specifically with flowers? Was it in school? I think it was doing that internship. So it was at a hotel garden for five months. I went to this little island in the north of Michigan, and I was working alongside a landscape designer. And as it turns out, this hotel also had a flower shop. And I was just really intrigued with flower shops. So I asked him if I could work in the flower shop one day a week as part of my internship. So I think that's where maybe I started feeling a little more serious about that. It was more just being curious, I guess, you know, and following that obsession (laughs) and passion. Yeah. So it sounds like you love the internship. You got to explore all these different things. So after that, what'd you do next? So after that, I went back to school and I think at that point was when I was really starting to think seriously about it and starting to send away for the brochures. I had also gone to Europe that summer for the first time and studied art history. And I remember just loving the museums, but loving the gardens more and coming away with just pictures of flowers and gardens. And that was another clue into, okay, I think I'd rather be outside in a garden or alongside flowers than inside a museum. Cool. So were you like, I have to go to flower school now? Or what do you even do next to pursue a career in flowers? 
Yeah. So I wanted to get my degree. So I kind of sped through as fast as I could. And the next goal was to go to flower school, but I didn't have enough money saved for that. So I went to Portland where my parents were living and I was staying with them temporarily thinking I would work a job to save money to go abroad to the flower school. And that's when I ended up finding kind of a dream job actually. And someone that was willing to hire me with the experience I'd had, because during the university time, I had also kind of started a little side gig during the summer. So I had already worked a little bit with flower clients and started like a little business on the side, delivering flowers to a real estate office. So what happened is, yeah, I went to my parents after university and then ended up finding this job in Portland, which was a startup company. And they were trying to make gardening more trendy. And so it was a chain of garden stores called Poppy Box Gardens. And they were looking for a floral buyer and lead designer. And so I ended up doing that for two years before I actually made it to London to the flower schools. Gotcha. Floral buyer slash lead designer, what's the day to day like for that? So that was really interesting because I learned a lot about um, corporate business and retail. So I would spend, I think, a couple of days in the corporate office with the other buyers, you know, because it was a garden nursery and then they had all kinds of products and it was a really new concept. So, yeah, so I would go a couple of days to the corporate office where I would work alongside the more experienced buyers. And we were buying fresh flowers for the store. So we were buying in from the wholesalers. And so I was learning a lot about retail buying from them. And then I would go work in the store and go to the market and buy flowers and design bouquets that we would sell because we had a small floral section in the garden nursery. So then I Um, During holidays and things, I would have other people working with me and I would design a bouquet. And then I think I was basically the lead designer. So I would design and then the other girls would help me, you know, and Valentine's Day was huge. We had to make all of these bouquets and we would do workshops there too, floral workshops. So it was really the kind of thing where they really took a chance on me. I was very, very young and they really taught me a lot. It was a good experience, even though a corporate environment is not really doesn't suit my personality. And so it took me a while to kind of be okay with that. (laughs) But yeah, I can relate. I'm super curious. How do you design a floral bouquet, you know, and like pick the ones you want to feature at the shop? And what do you think really makes a floral designer stand out? Because I think anyone can be like, oh, here's a bunch of flowers, but what makes a really great floral designer? Okay, there's a couple things to sort of unpack in there. And the first one was like, how did I go about designing the bouquets for the store? And of course, their brand was very cinched in, you know, because it was like a startup. So they were wanting like multiple stores across the West Coast. So really, they had a very succinct brand and a very, a really amazing creative director who had a, a really succinct vision. So the idea is to make sure that the bouquets are reflective of that brand. And at the time, it was very clean and modern. And the bouquets were inspired by what was being done in England. There was a designer called Jane Packer, who actually really inspired their floral department. You know, and and because this is like, okay, the year 2000, it's still kind of pre-internet. And so anything from abroad, I feel is a little more 
not to tangent, but just to kind of understand the the context. Nowadays, really, we're just so much more exposed to everything and there's so much more globalization. But at that time, like anything, any ideas from England about gardening and flowers would be very revered in the U.S. because we really look up to what they're doing in that topic. And so they had gone to her flower school, actually, and she had kind of inspired what they were doing in the U.S. So the idea was English style hand tied bouquets, which is a specific technique. And I learned that technique at Poppy Box. And so the idea is to have like English garden roses as opposed to the, you know, the florist, red florist rose you see to really make it look like it was from a garden because this was a garden center. So I guess that's a long answer. But yeah, the bouquets were a jumping point from the brand they had already developed. So it's like any other thing you would do, like a logo or anything else that you would try to make specific to a brand. Yeah. Wait, can you give me an example, actually, of like a Valentine's Day bouquet, basically? A a Valentine's Day bouquet at any florist is, you know, people have this idea that they want red roses. Well, at Poppy Box, we would be using like a garden style rose, which is like an old strain of roses. It looks more like a peony and it's a lot more fragrant. And we'd probably be using pink and not just like a standard red. And I think that we perhaps even had like a a brand color scheme. So there were probably certain colors that we stuck to as well. So you have kind of specifications about color and style and using everything kind of from this English florist, not, not copying her, just being inspired by what she was doing. And at the time this was in Portland. So then also using like what we did well locally to sort of express that. Yeah. Is there a um, worst design bouquet you've seen at a flower shop you've passed by? You know what? I will say that I, I'm a little weird this way because, okay, I spent many years being a flower snob, but now I'm not. I'm actually not. I love every single florist. If I walk by a florist shop, I will go in and I don't care if it is super old school. I'm intrigued by what they're doing. And I love all floral designs. And now some of that old school stuff is totally back in style. So I just I just sort of embrace all of it. And I always encourage like my flower students who want to be florists to really embrace what they do well. So like, what's on your Pinterest board? What colors do you gravitate towards? If you're out on a walk, which flowers do you want to pick? Okay, use that as kind of a jumping point. What kind of art do you like? You know, use that as the jumping point for for whatever you're designing. Yeah. Do you think there are any two like scents or colors that just don't really go well together? I tend so for me, I tend to design in analogous colors, which are close to each other on the color wheel. So I will typically do almost monochromatic arrangements. So it might be just all different tones of warm pinks, then with some greenery in there. I tend to really like simple color combinations. I mean, I just want to be clear, though, because not to be too, you know, (laughs) kind of airy fairy, but I really think like Again, I love all designs. So I don't want to say all flower arrangements should be monochromatic. You know what I'm saying? It's like, that's what I'm drawn to. And so I consistently do it. So it really, it works because I have some consistency with that. Whereas somebody else might love like a rainbow themed flower arrangements and they do it in an amazing way. And so it really works for their brand and their style and what they're doing. And I think brand is so much just a reflection of someone's personality too. Yeah, like I, I like that. There's no one right way to do things. There really isn't. I will say, you know, and when I when I have flower students in class, the first thing I say is forget everything you think a flower arrangement should look like. 
just let go of that and try to kind of just tune into which flowers do you see and which ones do you like and which colors appeal to you. So when you're teaching the students, how do you give them feedback on how to be better while staying authentic? to their brand? Of course, of course. That's a great, great question. So I start to kind of observe what they're drawn to. I can, I can see it in their first few arrangements. Okay. So there's sometimes an arrangement just won't work. Like it doesn't look visually appealing and that doesn't have anything to do with whether it's my style or not. So Basically, I want them to create arrangements that are impactful. And that doesn't mean that I want them to create them in my style, even though that may be an inspiration for them too. So it's about getting the composition right, like the height of the flowers. And it's really a lot about choosing ingredients. So I try to teach them how to choose ingredients. Like if you do want this English wildflower look, look for the soft flowers. Look for flowers that are kind of ethereal. So no Gerbera daisies, no like big lilies or anything like that. That said, if you want something a little bit more, let's say you're kind of inspired by the 70s and the 80s, and you want to go more that direction, you definitely want the Gerbera daisies and, and some of these, these other things. And you want it to look more, you know, boisterous and loud. And you like things that look, I don't want to say plastic, but kind of more polished, like not necessarily, like maybe more urban. That's a better, a better way to say it. Like maybe that's more your inspiration. So I kind of like start to observe, you know, the style they're developing. And then I want to kind of train them to make impactful arrangements that really work to the critical eye. Does that make sense? Oh, so anyways, you were a floral buyer at the startup. So what did you start to do next? I, I, I don't really, are there a lot of typical career path options in flowers or horticulture? <laughs> no, well, I mean, it's really opening up. So the flor- flowers have become so popular in the last 10 years. So After Poppy Box, where I was doing the buying, that's when I went to the flower school. And then after that, opened my shop. And I was 23 or 24 when I opened my shop. And that was very, very unusual. But now that's not so unusual. There's a lot of young women who are starting shops or young people. And it's just a lot more common. And flowers are very popular. So there's a lot more opportunities opening up within the field, whether it's teaching or styling. You have some people that are just working with flowers in terms of styling for photo shoots, like for perfume brands and launches and things like that. There's a lot of social media based around flowers. So you have a lot of influencers or creators styling, you know, flat lays with flowers or using that as kind of the theme for their Instagram. Of course, there's the flower shop you know, the traditional flower shop, there's a by appointment studio where maybe you're just focusing on weddings and events. There's a full fledged event company where you're designing the whole event from flowers to tablecloths. There's also just the idea of being a freelance florist where you're working for different florists as they need people for weddings and events. There's also writing, like I've done a lot of content creation online and then also writing about gardening and flowers. So um, my career has evolved like (laughs) several times and I've used the flowers like a lot of different ways to make money. So if that makes sense. (laughs) Yeah. Why do you think it's exploded so much the past 10 years? 
I think the internet and also there was this whole movement towards like the kind of back to the earth and also with a little bit of romanticism and all of that. Like right now, currently, we're seeing a lot of what happened during my childhood, which was this interest in escapism and romanticism and beauty. Like there's this whole um, movement I just found out about and I feel too old for it, but it's called like cottage core. Have you heard of this? No. (laughs) So it's, it's really sweet. A lot of young influencers are creating beautiful photography and videos around this idea of a simple life in a cottage. So flowery meadows and, you know, running through a field in a hat and a dress and this kind of thing. And I think it's very reflective of our time because we need an escape and we need to just hold on to the simple things and hold on to nature. So I love it. I think it's great. And you always see these trends like kind of come back around. So I think it's adorable. That is one of my favorite things about social media because you think you're like alone in the woods doing this, but you're like, no, everyone's alone. In- yeah, especially now. Yes. <laughs> yeah. And you realize hey everyone that just a quick thanks to our sponsor, Obby. Obby is an app I've been working on for almost a year, and I'm excited to announce that it's finally on the app and play store. If you're having trouble finding podcast episodes you like, Obby is the ultimate audio buddy for you. It's a podcast matchmaker that learns about you and your interests to give episode recommendations personalized just for you. The best part is that you can play these episodes right from the app. You can find a link to download Obby at heyobby.com. So you started your own flower shop at 23, very entrepreneurial. How did you make that happen? I did. So I, I did end up going to the flower school in London after leaving Poppy Box. And then I came back and I just, I started the business in my parents' garage and I started doing weddings and events. And I had a few contacts from my, my old job. And I think for one period, I was still working for Poppy Box, like part-time. And so I was starting to slowly build it. You know, that was still kind of my bridge job to getting to where I wanted. And I had this amazing opportunity come up. I, I started sort of networking with the, the little town that I lived in with different shops, bridal shops and things like that. And in that day, it meant going in and <laughs> to someone's store and talking to them and giving them a flyer and that kind of thing. So I ended up connecting with this woman who had an interior design shop and we really connected in terms of sort of our aesthetics and the style. So she invited me to have a little flower stand there and then that grew into a little flower shop. There was a little cottage in the back of her store and so I ended up taking that over to make that into a little flower shop. How do you stand out from other flower shops and get noticed? Well, what was really interesting about that time is I was actually basically in the back parking lot of another florist. And it actually worked really well because we had completely different styles and I had certain things I did and he had certain things he did. And so people would come to me. What they really liked were these sweet little bouquets I would do because the name of my business was Posies. A posy is just like a a little herbal garden bouquet. So I'd make these little tiny bouquets. And this is in an area where there's a lot of, you know, ladies who lunch kind of thing. (laughs) The ladies would come in and buy these as a quick gift for a, you know, a lunch date or something like that. And my style was very inspired by the garden. And I will say that Jane Packer, this English designer really influenced me and I did end up studying 
at her school in London. And Martha Stewart was a huge influence for me. And I don't think that a lot of things we have now would even exist without Martha Stewart. (laughs) You know, we have a lot of, you know, the whole idea of content creation and these influencers online and blogs. I feel like she really was kind of paving the way for that. And her style of arranging you know, my parents bought me her gardening book when I was 12 years old. And so that really inspired me. What was the most challenging part about launching your own flower business? I think it was actually just believing in myself. You know, I was really, really shy growing up and always very shy. And so even though I was very focused on this and knew it was something I wanted to do, and I will say it was a little bit impulsive, and I was very young and I, I really didn't know a lot of what I was getting into. But I had a lot of people and a lot of men tell me that I wasn't ready to have a flower shop and that I was too green and I was too young and I was too shy and I was too quiet and I was too introverted. And this is back before, yeah, this is back before the internet where we really, we really embrace introverts, you know, but I feel like most of my life I was kind of not fighting against it, but feeling like I was a little bit weird in that way. <laughs> and because I really didn't fit into a lot of boxes, I didn't fit into like a public school sort of thing. And I didn't fit into a corporate setting. So I think it was like believing in myself and knowing that I could do this, even though some people told me I couldn't. Yeah. So relevant problem for today, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so how did you end up moving into Portugal when that happened? Yeah, that's a good question. So I had my flower shop for about five years. And after that time, it started to evolve because I had like a, at one point I brought it into just my home and I had a home studio where I was just doing weddings and events. And then I did go for a time back into a corporate setting for about two years. And I did more retail buying during that time. And that's actually when I started my blog. And the blog changed everything for me. And that's how I was able to sort of evolve into being a stylist and teaching more workshops. I had always taught workshops when I had my shop, but I was able to bring the workshops online and that kind of thing. So it was 2015, five years ago that I moved to Portugal. So before that time, I would just want to say that all my career is still very flower centric except for those two years. And it evolved. And then coming to Portugal was actually a very personal decision that really had nothing to do with my career. It was more of, I guess, a quest for like a different life. So I I just sold everything that I owned. And I came to Europe when I was 36. And I, I went to France and I, I started working on organic farms. And Six months later, I ended up in Portugal and then (laughs) decided to move here kind of on a whim. That's awesome. You just followed your travel dreams. Was it easy to have your shop there and get the customer base? No, my client base is all in the U.S. I mean, I would say 90% in the U.S. So right now I'm teaching workshops online, which I've actually been doing for seven years. So I was teaching and writing about flowers and gardening, even when I came to Europe. So that's something I was always doing. And then I, yeah, then I came to Portugal and I was still doing that. So I wasn't looking really to start a business here per se. I already had something I was doing and I could do it from anywhere. So of course that did play into it a little bit, but actually there really was an element of starting over being here because I gave up a lot of opportunities in the U.S. I was working as a floral and prop stylist for eight years in Portland. 
And that's a great career, you know, and I was doing editorials for magazines and catalogs and books. And I gave that up to come to Europe because I wanted like a more simple life. So, yeah, but there was an element of starting over for sure. And in the last, I would say since 2017, I really started, I I started to get very inspired by Portugal and my work from a visual standpoint has evolved quite a bit, just influenced by this country and the people and the landscape. Oh, how has it changed? I'll I'll tell you a little story if I can. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. So I was living in Lisbon doing this work, I told you, and I kind of had like a house catastrophe as well as some other personal things. So I ended up moving out of the city to this beautiful village called Sintra. And I found myself renting this kind of little cottage in the countryside it was part of like what they call like a little villa. So there's other people living there, but I call it a cottage because it, it really felt like one. So anyways, and the, the landlord said I could use part of the property for, for my garden. I actually had to hike into town. I don't use a car. So I had to hike into town, like <laughs> it took about 20 minutes. So I was I like when people say slow living, I was actually really doing that. I'm not trying to build myself up. I'm just and I'm not saying it was good or bad or that I'm great for doing it. But I was definitely doing the slow living. So that was the element of really starting over. So I had to walk on this trail into the train station to get to Lisbon. And so I would walk on that trail a few times a week. And it really started becoming kind of a meditation for me. And I started having like a more personal relationship, even more so with flowers, because while it was always an obsession and it was always very personal, this was something different. I started to really tune into like being a kid when you're just picking weeds. And I would walk on this trail and try to turn my phone off and I would really just get lost in in the weeds and the grasses. And I would always have a bouquet by the time I got home. And I really started getting into foraging, foraging for flowers and wildflowers and trying to design in a more eco-friendly way. So without wire and tape and some of the traditional floral supplies that we use that are really not great for the earth. So, yeah, so that was kind of this epiphany I had. And everything has kind of grown from there. I feel like even though it was kind of a difficult time for me personally, it it really brought me to a new place with flowers. Nice. So your current day to day you get to do what you love now mostly. So you're mostly teaching yes. and and just like making arrangements on your own and selling them. Okay. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Dude, I was just thinking before the internet, how do you get people to know about your shop and notice you? That means you need a really good location or that's a great question. Yeah. Location and visual merchandising, but more than that, it's word of mouth. That's how my business operated for many years was word of mouth. And it worked really well. And the sort of, I don't want to say business partner, but the woman whose shop I was in, she already had a a customer base and our products matched up really well. So I guess you could say collaboration. That collaboration worked really well because her customers really loved what I did. And I was able to benefit from that a lot. And then from there, they really spread the word. And then you see when I went online, then online is like word of mouth on speed, right? And in both of these instances, advertising is just really not helpful. I never found advertising helpful back in the old days when I had a shop and I don't do any form of advertising now. It's the internet, you know, the internet has been amazing for that. But yeah, word of mouth is just doing good work and connecting with people on a, on a genuine level. 
Yeah, no, it was cool to see like your social accounts really took off. And that's like a natural advertising that's free, basically. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Oh, I'm curious, what's your favorite and least favorite thing about having a career in flowers? Yeah, well, my favorite thing is is just working with the flowers themselves because that obsession to this day continues. Well, and if I can sneak another one in there, <laughs> I just, I love working with my students. This has been really, really fun to mentor people. And my least favorite thing is really the business and the admin, because there's definitely a lot of days that I spend in front of the computer. And sometimes I feel like a salesperson or, you know, an accountant, I I, I wear all of the hats. So that can be really overwhelming. And I think particularly if you are someone who is also running your own life entirely by yourself, You know, I think that can be a little bit overwhelming. And a lot of women, a lot of people don't talk about that, or maybe because I think that the number of people kind of living alone is growing. But um, a lot of people don't talk about that, like what it's like to run a business and also run your life without financial assistance or emotional support from somebody in your household. And so that's been really challenging because sometimes it's overwhelming to balance all of those things. I think people talk a lot about it, like if you have kids, and I'm so respectful and in awe of that. But for me, the challenge is, and it probably sounds lame to parents, but for me, the challenge is, you know, doing everything in my life by myself and running most of my business by myself. I mean, luckily, I have some great accountants and then like freelancers that help me here and there. But I think it can be hard to keep it up on a day to day basis. Yeah, I'm a solo founder too, so I can totally relate. Also, something else you mentioned, basically, I think it's very rare to be a creative and that's all you do and you're just like so talented, like Meryl Streep, people just notice you and then they're just like, oh, your career is going to take off. Every creative needs kind of that business skill to really get their career big. Yeah, so for all those creatives out there who just don't really like the business side, but they need it to make their careers take off. Do you have any advice for them? For sure. Yeah. I think maybe think about getting a partner that is wants to do the business end of things or a business mentor. You know, my father is an accountant and worked with a lot of small businesses. So I will say that he's been my business mentor all of these years. And that has helped me tremendously. And then also just what has really helped is connecting with other women who are doing similar things to me and having a lot of conversations about business and what works for them. It's such a different world now. So business is completely different. (laughs) Find what works for you and find out what you do well. And if there's anything that you know you don't do well, don't try to do that yourself. I'm curious, has the pandemic affected your career at all? It has, yes. And in actually a positive way. So because I've been teaching online for seven years, I have a little bit of Google ranking with my workshops. So now I'm doing a lot more corporate workshops, Zoom workshops for corporate teams, which I was already doing a little bit of, but now people are looking for it more and for conferences and things like that. So I'm doing a lot more of the online workshops. What is the most difficult decision you've had to make to turn your passions into a career? Oh, that's great question. (laughs) There's been so many difficult decisions. It's been a rocky road, you know. I think probably made this decision a lot, but didn't think about it until this time in my life. But I mean, I spent a lot of years with work as my focus. 
So I really overlooked a lot of things about like personal development and self-care. And I don't know if this is really answering your question, but um, basically I gave up a lot to, to do it, even unknowingly, just because I enjoyed it so much. And also because when you are a kind of a solopreneur, you are just hustling a lot of the times. That's just how capitalism works. So I gave up a lot with my personal life and my personal boundaries. And it hasn't been since like the last five or six years that I've really learned better how to handle that. And I also think that the world is changing and we have a lot more opportunity to create businesses that are a little bit more manageable on a day-to-day basis and don't necessarily take over your life. There's different ways to do things now. Controversial question. If you had to go back and do it over again, would you do the same thing? Do you think that's the reason your career got so far or would you have put in more self-care? That's a good question. I really don't like regrets. I don't have any regrets. You know, I would have loved to have a family and I'm not saying that's off the table now. I'm 42. So that might be maybe something I'm thinking about right now. I don't want to say it's a regret, but it's definitely been more on my mind as I go into my 40s. But I really don't have regrets. I think that I... Maybe my one regret is not always managing my business from an objective perspective. I definitely made a lot of emotional decisions just because I was so young and I really didn't have a lot of female mentors. And and that's what the internet really brought me. I will tell you that like it brought me this community of women who were business owners. And that's been really, really empowering. As much of a cliche as it is nowadays, you know, I've I've been with the before and the after and I much prefer it this way. So No, that's awesome. Cause I think successful female CEOs can be pretty different from male CEOs, to be honest. Yeah. And I think we're learning that, you know, I'll go back to Martha Stewart. I just want to say that I I really look at her as kind of this postmodern feminist because she took domesticity and she took, you know, gardening and cooking and all these things that were considered female. And she made a business out of them. And she's really paved the way for so many of us. And, you know, even now, you know, I had a client three years ago who I was doing styling work for, say, I will say it was a man. I'm just going to say that. A lot of these comments do come from, from men. So he said, like, why do you charge so much? It's just a bunch of photos. I think a lot of things that were perceived to be female or feminine are of lesser value. And I'm just, you know, in the last few years, really taking kind of my power back and being okay with charging what I feel the product is worth and and charging what I can. Kind of a wrap up question, but what advice would you give to others looking to become a floral designer or have a career in flowers? Yeah. Number one is really make sure you're passionate about it. Again, nobody gets into flowers for the money and follow your own instinct and kind of let your business grow from your own personality, your own location and your own resources and see where that that brings you. Don't look too much at what other people are doing. Yeah. Stay true to yourself. Exactly. (laughs) Cool. Well, this is the end of our interview. So we like to give our guests 60 seconds to pitch anything they want. Is there anything you'd like to pitch? Pitch? Oh, okay. Well, I will just say I have a book coming out next spring that I am so excited about. And it's based on that time period I told you about living in a little cottage in the Portuguese countryside. It's about flower arranging, but it comes from a really personal space. And it's all about how to bring flowers into your everyday life. And you don't hey need guys, any flower skills. Thanks for listening to my chat with the amazing Chelsea Fuss. I love how she followed her instinct and just let her brand grow from her personality. Sorry, total flower pun. I feel like we can all learn from that no matter what our job is. 
So make sure to check out our website, thenewschoolpodcast.com. There you can find links to anything mentioned in the episode in our show notes. And you can suggest amazing guests for the show. We also have a newsletter you should definitely sign up for. It's the ultimate weekly guide to turning your passions into a meaningful career. Get every episode as soon as it drops by subscribing to The New School wherever you get your podcasts. And if you have a minute, we'd love it if you could rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. That would really mean a lot. To stay up to date on all things The New School, follow us on Instagram at The New School Podcast and on Twitter at The New School Pod. Next week, we're going to be speaking with Master Rasoon Herkel. Master Rasoon is a professional martial arts trainer who's taught Wing Chun for many years. Rasoon speaks about how passionate he was as a young child to learn martial arts, the struggles in life that led him to his career today, and the many celebrities he's taught during his time as a trainer. Martial arts has made me more calm a person than I would be had I not been training martial arts. People think that I'm this fighter because they see the UFC and they see all this adrenaline. They think that martial artists are these big, tough guys who are full of rage and adrenaline. And for me, and especially for my students, I want to teach them that you can be calm in the middle of the storm. I'm so excited for you to join me next Monday to hear Master Rasoon's story. He has so many unexpected twists on his journey to becoming a martial arts trainer, and he was such an entertaining guest to speak with. All right, guys, have a great day. Try something new today. The New School with Christine Hong is produced by Jenny Snyder, Claire Whiteley, and Alexia Marsola. Editing by Sydney Salk, John Simpson, and Joseph Cho. Special thanks to our marketing team who help us spread our mission and put the New School name out there. Katie Osaki, Dina Che, Marissa Wolfsheimer, and Giovanni Cortez.